Welcome to Rooster and the Devil, where we give you the Americans' perspective on English Premier League soccer, with hosts Brad Tyndall, Jimmy Karn, and Mike Steenstra. That's not a beer. That's a seltzer water. I'm obsessed with seltzer water. I don't know how I got this way, but I just love it. Anyway, we have a bonus episode of Rooster and the Devil here for you. Uh, I think it's worth a listen. I, I think it's a fun conversation between myself and Noah Perkins, who I used to have a column with in a basketball magazine in Japan. Uh, we covered NBA together. We go over how about we ha- about how we are both a little disenchanted with the NBA um, soccer development in the U.S. And I think he has some excellent takes on that. And he just has great stories, and he's just a fun guy to talk to. I will say the audio quality on this one's a little uh, worse than normal. Um, I think we have finally settled on a way to record our interview guests via Skype. And apparently it's super easy because we make it hard on everybody. And uh, we're all pretty good at it. We know how to do it. And we'll keep recording our way together. But when we do interviews, we're just messing people up. So I think we're finally moving forward. Sorry, Noah. It'll be after this one. You're going to see some uh, improved quality for our interviews in general. We can, we can like, but have an ad break where we anyway, throw in here's, our uh, here's Noah middle class existence talk of suicide. <laughs> you know, it's actually a topic on this podcast every once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, like I, was, like, like I was saying, man, I'm, I'm at this really weird, I don't know if it's because I'm 30 now or what, but I'm at this, like, super weird existential, like, point in my life where I'm just, like, I, I don't know if I would say... I mean, it's probably low-grade depression, but, um... I go to therapy. I, I've been to therapy now, like... I, d- I, I, I started going to therapy this year, too, and it's, um... I don't know how I feel about it, but... Yeah, I, oh, I, like, I don't feel... I feel weird about it, but... Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, I think it's, I think it's helpful. I, I, I would 100% agree. If not for someone to just have, like, a little release valve. I have this, way. like... I have this, um weird fear every time I'm like in my therapist's office that because he's a man and I'm like I am like just terrified every time I'm going in that I'm gonna like cry in front of him which hasn't happened yet <laughs> but like it's always in the back of my head like well, you're from gonna... Boston you, you got it's that true. like yeah. chip on your shoulder like I have actually I have not cried in front of the therapist either I'm just like you don't deserve to see that yet <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I yeah I don't I, I I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel good about it I'll put it like that but listen there's there's nothing wrong with crying so you know, I know, if it happens, I know. It happens. <laughs> well with that uh, <laughs> Noah Perkins welcome to Rooster and the Devil um, Noah and I used to have a, a co-write a column together in a Japanese basketball magazine uh, which Mike was and Perk. Mike and Perk yeah Mike and Perk are back together which is beautiful um, the that column and that gig we had, granted, it you know, paid nothing and it was not a full time <laughs> job at all. But I don't think we'll ever have better jobs than that. It was so cool. I mean, I'm so thankful for the Japanese basketball community and for some random reason giving first me a chance and then being able to bring in someone like you that 
we had met randomly on the internet, and we've never met in person. But I know. We're good friends. It's true, and I'm I'm uh, thankful for that gig and for for uh, you being my the other half of Mike and Perk every day. And I will say, since we had a little bit of a lost five minutes where I complimented your writing, you are just an excellent NBA writer, and uh, I was the weak link of the the Mike and Perk column, but and I had the connections there. Shout out to. Takeshi Shibata-san and, uh, how do you say, Hiroki? Yeah, I mean, Hiro, right? So yeah, we just called him Hiro, yeah. Hiro-san. What, um, what was it like, because we had, uh, with that gig, we were lucky enough to have the NBA media credential. What was it like for you the first time you went and covered a game? Um, first time I covered a game was just, confusion at where to go for the most part until i made friends with uh arno gelb rest in rest in peace and he was nice enough to show me around and and stuff but honestly i was just shocked at how um pedestrian it felt there was just a bunch of people in the room trying to get their job done like the local newspaper dominates the conversation and it's all about the game just so everyone can get the hell out of the room so for for because you did you because uh, I mean I know you did the All Star game um, but in terms of just covering games did you only do it in DC or did you go to any of the other arenas? Um, I went to I covered a Hornets game and is that it? It might be it. I think I've only covered a Hornets game outside of um, DC. Yeah, so for me I was uh, I've only and a Sixers done Sixers game actually one Sixers oh, game. Okay, yeah. So for me I've only done the Staples Center and I like have wondered how kind of skewed my vision of co- what covering the NBA is like oh, because it's of how big yeah because of you know LA is like the you know the the epicenter of, of the NBA and of basketball here um, so yeah I've wondered I've often wondered how much different the experience would be doing it in say like Charlotte or like Phoenix or you know a smaller market I'd say that D.C. is actually pretty cool, especially since I was in the international row and it has a large international component. So, and well, the access to the game, access to the players was, was pretty good. So um, at, at the at the Staples Center, what they did, um, <laughs> they pretty much just uh, uh, exiled all of the international media up to the press box, which is you know like the the last row in the arena. That's what happened in the playoffs for the international people. Yeah, so we were, uh, so like, yeah, my experience and yours were probably different. Um, it was me, uh, a couple people from China, a guy from Australia sitting together often, and then, you know, I'd see, like, the, the national people in the, in the L.A. Times and the local people, like, downstairs. But in terms of, like, actually where we were during the game, it was, they were, they were, they were nowhere to be seen. Well, what's nice is the Wizards games is they did stick our row in uh, section 107, which is down in the lower bowl. Nice. And then in in uh, Charlotte too, we they have really nice media spots, and I think they stick all of them right in the like the mid section of the lower bowl. Did you commit any faux pas at any time uh, covering? Oh, that's a great question. That's a, uh, yes, I did. I did. Um, I wrote. The very first piece I wrote for Hoop Japan was at a Nike event for Kevin Durant. It was mm-hmm. awesome. Like, the story made the cover, which is so cool. Yeah. And, and I had a magazine with Katie's picture on the cover, and I asked for a picture 
of Katie with the magazine. Oh. And then I got a pretty good talking to from uh, the, the OKC at the time. Uh, what, uh, what, yeah, what were they saying PR to you? Guy. Uh, just asking me what outlet I was from and, like, being super mm-hmm. aggressive and asking me if I knew the rules, which I did, but um, I don't know. It was just for personal so, uh, edification. I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. But how about you? Yeah, no, so the uh, biggest faux pas I think I committed was uh, at the Staples Center during the pregame meal. I did two, I, I did, I made two mistakes, I guess. One, I didn't sign in when I walked into the uh, media room, which I don't know if you have to do that everywhere, but the Staples Center, you have to sign in, I guess. So I didn't sign in the first time, and I got a talking to from, like, a 65-year-old man who was uh, just kind of sitting at the door, pulled me aside, and was quite stern with me. And, <laughs> and then um, there was, uh, at the buffet, there was, like, a pile of, uh, like, paper plates, and then a pile of, like, actual, like, cutlery. And I don't know if it was, like, stratified in the sense that, like, if you're with ESPN, you get a real plate. And if you're, like, you know, from, from, from you know. I almost suspect that it is. Yeah, so it was, like, <laughs> I, so I took a real plate, and I didn't take one of, like, the, you know, fake, <laughs> fake plastic plates. And the same guy who had just given me a talking to about not signing in came over to me and made me switch my plate out. Wow. That's embarrassing. Yeah, it was <laughs> and it's embarrassing. Like, Dude, chill out. You know what it is about NBA single-game coverage is that it doesn't lend itself well to the type of writing that you and I like. Absolutely. And I think that's another kind of in this, like, existential void I'm in, which, you know, a lot of it revolves around the NBA, um, is I just have become really disenchanted with the amount of noise that um, goes into NBA coverage. Um, There's, like... It's clickbait. It's just so much clickbait. It's... The whole, like, analytic um, kind of movement is a little disenchanting to me as well. And then yeah. just, you know, I understand it's it's a business and, you know, that you have these massive brands, yada, yada, yada. But the whole kind of lack of real coverage that anyone's allowed anymore and how everything is so controlled and media manipulated just kind of makes me sick. The, the experience. You know, going back to your first question about media coverage in general, the way that the players treat the media is complete disdain. Oh, yeah. It's it's part of why I don't like the NBA is because I think the players are so entitled, and it's just it's, that is hard de- to watch. That is definitely true. Um, and I think, you know, to play devil's advocate a little bit, you're absolutely right. There is a lot of disdain from the players from the media, but there's also a lot of media that's kind of that warrants that disdain true yeah like backstabbing weasels that never mm-hmm. have played basketball in their life that that i could see that being very annoying from a player's perspective is like this little weaselly white dude that's never touched a ball in his life is stirring up controversy for yeah and then yeah and then clicks. just the, the, the content farming of it where it's like listen i'm i don't care so i've never cared so much about what you can see in a box score i, I like narrative um but just this kind of manufactured aspect of, of narrative, I, I find uh, very off-putting, and it, it makes it hard for me to really be into the NBA like I used to be, because one, I don't think the game is as entertaining now as it used to be, and I think a lot of that has to do with like the analytics-driven yeah, side of things. Yeah, three-point shooting. 
Yeah, exactly. There's no it's mid- a three fest. Yeah, and, and I get it from the analytics perspective. Yeah, but it, it doesn't lend itself to uh, I think the uh, the aesthetic that a lot of people from our generation who are around our age, you know, grew up with and, you know, really fell in love with. Possession-based. It, it took away a lot of possession-based because of the long rebounds and, and that sort of thing, which is what actually drew me to soccer and what I didn't realize about soccer until I started watching it a lot is how important possession is in that game. And I think that the introduction of analytics and three-point shots mm-hmm. bombing away within 10 seconds of the shot clock, like, possession doesn't mean as much as it used to. Well, yeah, and then it, and then it's just like this. Um, I, I don't know about you, and like, not to necessarily beat a horse that's been you know beaten to death the past couple of weeks, but I was pretty repulsed by the whole China thing. Oh, I saw you on Twitter. Just uh... yeah, no, it was it was just like it kind of felt like it was just a massive slap in the face to to like every legitimate NBA fan in this country. I mean, the funniest part about it is you could just tell everyone's so concerned for their wallet. Yeah, exactly. Which I get it. Like, uh, I but, get it. I get it too, but I mean, when you're a, when you're a social justice warrior league, like you promote yourself to be. Well, that's that's the thing. It's, <laughs> right. the, the the brand of the NBA has become, uh, you know, we we speak up for social justice and we take a stand for for all these you know injustices in the world, and then it's it comes down to. Somebody is taking a stand for something they believe in, and it's impacting your wallet, and now you're not going to stand behind that. And it's just so hypocritical. It is just fascinating to see how uh, that one tweet has such a big effect on the finances of the NBA, though. Yeah, but I I will say, um, if Daryl Morey was trying to shine a light on what's going on in Hong Kong, which I don't know much about personally... um, job well done because everyone knows True. a lot more about Hong Kong, Hong Kong now than they did before he tweeted that. But also, you know, now we're diving into politics, but U.S. Uh, taking on China would be would be interesting, but that's whole point. My whole point uh, is just at what point is enough money enough money? Right. I mean, for me, personally, I'd take a million dollars. Yeah, I would too. I, I think I remember um, I remember reading a study like several years ago that was like correlated happiness with income and it was something like the happiest people make up $85,000 a year and it's like the, the, every dollar less than that, they're a little less happy and every dollar more than that, they're a little less happy. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Well, but now we've just completely gone off the rails. So. Yeah, I mean that's kind of, I don't know how often you do listen to Rooster and the Devil, but I'll tell you, Mike. I listen. I listen. I listen to it enough. Is what you need. To all know. right. All right. Yeah. So you are our consistent listener from California, because I see the statistics. I see the <laughs> analytics, and I see see some consistent listens out of California. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, I, I. I. like it. I think you're. I think you have a, a good uh, knack for podcasting, and I think you like have a. <laughs> I think you have a pretty sweet like radio voice too, to be honest. <laughs> That's hilarious because I'm always very critical of my voice when I'm listening back. I'm like, ah, I sound too whiny, cutting people off all the time. No, but no, yeah, I think you're, I think I think it's a it's a good uh, it's a good space for you. Can you tell that we're just drinking beer and perhaps consuming vape, vaporized products <laughs> throughout the whole pro- process? Yeah, no, that's uh, definitely the vibe you're giving off. <laughs> all right, well. 
I suppose it's kind of the vibe we're going for. Hope my mother never listens. <laughs> so, all right, you listen to soccer. So what's – we've gone on from NBA. Both of us were huge fans. We were reporters for the league, quasi-reporters. I've switched to soccer. I called you on this podcast to kind of talk about that switch to soccer, disenchantment with NBA, but well, what's your take? I think um, – for me, I think I differ from a lot of people who are kind of in the NBA blogging or NBA media space in the sense that the NBA was always kind of uh, secondary to me. And it was basketball came before the NBA for me. I loved basketball, and by proxy, I love the NBA. Whereas I think a lot of people love the NBA and then basketball is kind of secondary. Hmm. So, you know, for me, as you know, um, I spend a lot of time covering uh, American hoopers playing professionally abroad, and that's still something that, you know, really um, has my attention and I'm interested in, and I'm still interested in exploring that space. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, you kind of making the shift from um, NBA to, from the NBA to the soccer, I, I, I get it. It, it. it makes sense to me. And especially if um, you're, you know, like me and you're more interested in narrative than box score, I think there's incredible narratives in the, in the soccer, in soccer abroad. Um, and I hope, uh, I have long hoped that the MLS would get off its ass and start capitalizing on the fact the NFL believe it or not looks like they're gonna have a crisis in the coming years in terms oh of- i hope so i mean <laughs> i used to love football too i actually fell out of love with football in the last two years no yeah it's, it's same with commercials yeah well that's bad i mean um i feel the same way about the nfl i feel i have i'm a lot more jaded about the nfl than i am about the nba um but i think the nfl has a real problem that it's just not safe to play football yeah. And at some point... It's so dangerous. Yeah, it's so dangerous. And I think, you know, I've said before to people, I think the labor force is going to start to get siphoned off because, you know, what parents really want, you know, their kid to do something that could result in, you know, traumatic brain injury. Um, and just crazy behavior from CTE. Yeah, well, that too. Um, and then, you know, people come back with, well, you know, if you're if you grow up in a certain context if you grow up in poverty and football is a ladder to a higher education or you know a different social standing then you know people are still going to do it which i get but i think that's where the mls could come in and really market itself to the next generation of football players is hey you can do this and you can uh you know improve your life through soccer and you know actually that's what mls is missing because exactly they operate in these giant markets and they have enormous fees to get into the league Mm -hmm. and it's still the youth development system in america unfortunately is still pay to play almost entirely that's why you're seeing all of our best american players are white middle class kids right now yep but i would encourage you to check out a league called the united soccer league which is our second division in u.s soccer and it's a lot more like europe in Mm -hmm. that little towns little mini cities have teams, fully functioning player development environments, and this league has done an incredible job in the last two years of establishing themselves in these smaller markets. San Diego has a team, Landon Donovan owns it, they just started this year, 
And I think that that is where you're going to see the whole plugged in U.S. soccer development. And I am very hopeful that they can start stealing some of the players that would traditionally play well, Kiwi football. Um, imagine Allen Iverson on a soccer field. Ima- imagine. He'd uh, be so good. Yeah, um, I Russell really Westbrook. That. Yeah, any any NFL Westbrook? running back. Westbrook would be sick. Yeah, I mean, who 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 would be the best goalie that's played uh, in the NBA or the NFL? I mean, oh, that's an excellent question. Imagine so many good ones. Imagine imagine Calvin Johnson, the receiver for the Lions a couple years ago. Imagine putting him in goal. The other rooster on this podcast will really like that comparison because he grew up a huge Lions fan. That's one hundred percent correct. And oh man. You're getting me excited. I think any slot receiver that's worth a damn yeah, would, no. would be excellent. You, If you put the best American athletes on the soccer field, I mean, Team USA would be able to compete, I would imagine, with the best teams in the world. You'd think so. Yeah, you definitely think. Maybe not. Do you, I don't mean. Do you watch U.S. men's national team games ever? Uh, occasionally, I do. Um, I don't often, and as uh, friends I grew up with can attest, I've often... Uh, been the guy in the corner of the room who's hating on soccer, but <laughs> I, uh, as I'm getting older and as I'm becoming more and more jaded with the NFL and the NBA, I find myself respecting soccer more and more. You know, I, I, I really get the criticism for soccer. I do. I, there's nothing worse than sitting down for 95 minutes and seeing a tie, like a zero-zero tie. And Ooh. I thought it was going to happen today in the Chelsea Ajax game. But our boy, Captain America, Christian Pulisic, got an assist in the 85th minute. Orgasm. It's like an orgasm when you score that late. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> I, I think, too, a big thing as an American, kind of what puts me off and probably puts a lot of people off about soccer, and you touched on it, is just, you know, in contrast to the rest of the world in this country, soccer is more or less just kind of a rich man's sport or a rich person's yeah. sport. And I think there's something very deeply embedded in our culture that just is going to rebel against that. Oh, man, you got some drag racers going on. Yeah, they do, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the, the, the perils of living in downtown San Diego. Oh, man. So how long have you been in San Diego for? Uh, I moved here right after I graduated college in 2012. Um, literally, I graduated in June of 2012, and I was out here beginning of September 2012. And I was supposed to originally move to Los Angeles, um, and I came out here with the, the buddy I was staying with, and I kind of just fell in love with the city. And also, coincidentally, I on the first day I was here, I met my future wife, Anna, so that, that also helped. Uh, I didn't first, realize you met her there. Yeah, first I met day? Her, first day I was in San wow. Diego. Yeah, no, it was a crazy, uh, cr- cr- crazy, crazy turn of events. But, yeah. uh I'm happy about it. You know, San Diego is a great city, and LA is not very high on my list of desirable cities. So. I I always see you posting these pictures of you sitting on a beach, like right after playing pickup basketball. Oh, it's great! It's it's, gr- it's great, man. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, Saturdays. Saturdays I play. Uh, I play in Coronado on Saturdays, and literally, as soon as I'm done, I walk walk across the street to the beach. So it's a it's a good it's a good life. I will say that. that playing basketball remains my top sport to play, and I play every when- Monday and Thursday still. Pick up basketball, hard to beat. Oh well, the reality is too. I think uh, as long as I play pick up basketball, I'm going to be kind of at least in a you know ancillary capacity following the NBA. Just so because, I still follow it. Yeah. Quotation marks. Yeah, no, but 
pick up basketball is, is one of life's greatest joys. I'd say like, you know, the whole the whole family thing, um, and pick up basketball. Those are those are the two the two best things life has to offer. So I see uh, you and Ivan Carter seem to have a relationship through pick up basketball, and he's do, a yeah. former he, Washington Post writer. Is that right? Yeah, he did. He was. Uh, he's a. Uh, He's an awesome dude, uh, complete clown, but uh, knows knows more about uh, basketball and you know various other sports than like most people like for, you know that that old adage you know he he he's forgotten more than most people know and yeah he was uh, at the Washington Post for a while and he was at the Kansas City Star before that um, and you should you should uh, you should reach out to him to try and get him on he's uh, has. Stories and stories and stories about what it was like to cover the NBA in the the mid two thousands. See, and that's also, what I should chart. You got you two should do the podcast because ah, we're, you're, you're, you're made for it as well. Because I don't know, you'd have interesting narratives, and if well, you got so, him to, to co-host, and so he's really fun. And he's got the he's got a large following on Twitter too. He, so. He's uh, he's he'd be a great podcast guest because. He was in the locker room for the most enjoyable team in NBA history, which is Gilbert the Arenas. 2000, like the the mid 2000, late 2000s Washington Wizards that had Arenas, Nick Young, Javale McGee, Andre Black. The classic team. Yeah, just I love a complete, them from afar. just a complete daycare. One of the most tragic, beautiful teams in NBA history. So, were you a Celtics fan growing up? I see you with that Seattle SuperSonics hat. So I actually, uh, I call myself Celtics adjacent. I was a diehard Sonics fan growing up, and the reason was my older brother, whose name was Sam Perkins, had to go to the emergency room when he was maybe 10, which would have made me 6. And a hospital orderly at the time in the emergency room said to him, you look a lot taller on television, talking about, of course, Sam yeah, Perkins, who Sam played Perkins. For, yeah. for the Sonics, and because of that, we became Sonics fans, and they had, of course, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, that whole that whole team that was really easy to root for, um, and, you know, shortly thereafter, they were in the NBA Finals against Jordan, so became a Sonics fan, uh, was a Sonics fan until they were robbed, uh, until the city <laughs> of Seattle was robbed of them. And have more or less been a, a NBA fan free agent since. I was a Warriors fan for a few years, and now I'm, you know, I kind of jump around. I like the Nuggets. I like Jokic a lot. I like, I like the, I loved the Clippers last year. Um, but you, you know, like the Knicks last year too. I did like. I, listen, listen, man. Anywhere Michael, this is two years ago, but anywhere Michael Beasley goes, I'm gonna go. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Any any team that has, if when Michael Beasley's playing in China, my team is the Beijing Ducks. I like Lance Stevenson over there playing some guitar. I like anyone crazy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and and you uh, you grew up a you grew up a Knicks fan, right? Oh, I was a huge Knicks fan. I would live and die by the Knicks. I would sit as like a eight year old on my kitchen table, and if mm-hmm. I opened up the box score and they had lost, I would cry. And I What's remember a- like the early '90s Knicks being like six years old. Mm-hmm. My dad would let me stay up and watch it, and just like going nuts. I love Don Harper, <laughs> randomly. Like he's and Chris Childs too. What uh, what was like the uh, was it would it have been like the the, the was it the '94 finals they they lost? What what would have been like your your peak childhood 
Nick Fan. Two thousand year two thousand. They were the eighth seed and they beat Miami in the first year mm-hmm. and made the finals. Right. And I was old, I was thirteen at that that point. So that's adolescence is the heights of a uh, height of sport fandom. Yeah, it's true. I'd that say. is very true. Yeah, at it's least been for uh, me. and it's been downhill pretty much every year since. So yeah, although I'm very into soccer, I I just really am. And Seattle's now a soccer city. I would argue. Yeah, so no, it maybe, is. Maybe the Sounders. Maybe you could be our MLS expert. Well, that's we don't another. Know shit about MLS. That, that's another thing that uh, kind of uh, befuddles me about about the MLS. So they're doing great in Portland. They're doing great in Seattle. They're doing like great in Atlanta. Yeah. But then they have these uh, these these stadiums that aren't even in uh in big cities. Like what is their Philadelphia teams in like Delaware or something? The Boston teams way out in the sticks. Yeah. The Boston team is doing the worst as far as attendance is concerned. But I actually Philadelphia I, does great, and they do great in these mid-sized cities without any other professional sports. I think that's I, although Philadelphia is an exception. Uh, a few years ago, I flew out of Logan in Boston, and the uh, Revolution was there, and it looked like they were they were uncomfortably flying commercial. So, that's a whole argument right now. I don't know if you're following along with that on Twitter at all, but Wayne no. Rooney just left MLS. He played one and yep. a half seasons for Manchester United, and yep. he was uh, complaining big time about not having chartered flights. And apparently, they have like 14-hour commercial flights with like. Stops and stuff. And but listen, the travel's brutal, and the pay is terrible. Are you, I, I, and that's and that sucks. But uh, there is a part of me that finds that incredibly compelling from the narrative standpoint, and that's 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 something I like. That's why I used to I. That's why I've always liked the the D League before it was the G League, and now the G League. You should cover the USL squad. There's yeah, a lot yeah, of narrative. I, I There's a lot of that, narrative. Yeah. It's what, like the, 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 the old CBA before Isaiah Thomas destroyed it was, uh, was just uh, it was incredible. It was, you know, guys, guys staying in these shitty, shitty motels, driving around on like these horrible buses and these, doing drugs. Yeah, well, that and these random, these random places all over the country just uh, for, for very little money, hoping to get a chance at the NBA. And there's something it, incredibly beautiful about that. That's what USL is, the second division of American soccer. And what's great about it is there's so many Latin American players that are trying to make mm-hmm. it. There's all these. Cuban defectors that are playing in the MLS. They they come their national team comes and plays the US and then like five, six of them leave every single time and they they usually end up yeah. in the second division. I'm telling you, the USL is full of narrative. It's and it's the organization itself is has positions itself in the perfect spot for growth. Do we uh do we both agree that baseball is the uh <laughs> the bane of all human existence <laughs> oh man you're catching me at a weird spot because the Nats are in the World Series and I have watched the playoffs for them and I hadn't watched baseball in that was the first sport I abandoned and I was like Dude, this game sucks it takes forever it's so boring <laughs> it, I, it is boring I have long argued that if uh, the police need information or something just make somebody watch nine innings of baseball, and they'll 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 they'll, they'll give up they'll give up everything. That's fighting words to one of the guys on the podcast who don't ask me why loves baseball. Mm. I agree. I agree one hundred percent with you. Character blemish, yeah. And even though I've watched the World Series, and it has been fun because I'm you're going to like, I, I think it's a social sport because 
you know, there's a pitch and then there's a weight where you can be like, oh, you know, drinking beer. Yeah, like, but the problem, the problem is, unless you're in like San Diego or some other, you know, small market that has a terrible team, it costs like $150 minimum to go to a baseball game. Who do you have, Padres? Yeah. They haven't been good in a long time. No, historically sucked. And I grew up a Yankees fan, and I hate Yankees fans. I hate the Yankees, actually. (laughs) Who, um... (laughs) Who would you say, uh, in terms of fans, are worse? New York fans, Philadelphia fans, or Boston fans? Oh, that's such a loaded question, because they all suck. They're all terrible, yeah. <laughs> and they all don't realize how just terrible and just detested they are. My natural disdain is for Boston fans, but I think Philly wins. I yeah, really no, Philly, ha- Philly has to win. They're terrible people, terrible fans, terrible humans. I think Boston underneath, although people from Boston are definitely antagonistic folk. Oh, big time, big and time. some people from Jersey and Philly. That's the problem. Yeah, there's a, but I will say being out, being out on the West Coast for so long, I have kind of learned to, I don't want to say love, but maybe, maybe underneath it all, love the, uh, the East Coast edge people, people have back home. I hear you. It is fascinating when I go back home to watch the people and even just the way they drive, it's. Yeah, there's just an unfiltered honesty that I appreciate. It's true. But there's also, like, a lot of douchebags that are just oh, yeah. douchebags. Yeah, but, I mean, shut their pie hole. There, are plenty of, there are plenty of douchebags everywhere, though. I mean, there, there are plenty of plenty of people in San Diego who are, you know, all about the surfer culture who you definitely call a douchebag. Yeah. Actually, I grew up as a surfer. Mm. Little did you know. And surfers <laughs> can be the biggest assholes of them all. Yeah, they, they Especially on your, like, local break, they're very territorial. They're, like... They'll literally punch you in the water if you're in their their space. I hate you. So we we covered we covered pretty much uh, pretty much everything I would say. We we went from uh, I mean, do we do we want to get into do we want to wade into the waters for Hillary Clinton now? You know, we 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 gone around. Um, I think I am gonna release this as a bonus episode, like a special I like NBA it. sucks episode. <laughs> so we have time to kill or. I can give you some homework. Like, I really want you to watch a soccer game. I, dude, I'll watch a soccer game, and I'll come back, and I'll give you uh, my – I'll give you my – give you all, all of my uh, my impressions. This Sunday, 1230 Eastern, 930 Pacific would be a good one to start with. When was the last time you sat down and watched it, spent a, an NFL Sunday watching just hours and hours of football? Uh, do you count Red Zone? Because I like Red Zone. Yeah. I don't get it. I, I, I just, at this point, I don't get it. I don't understand how so many people are so inter, interlocked with it. It's like, to me, football just brings out the absolute worst in humanity. I wrote this in our last podcast description that it's three hours and 11 minutes, the average game length on television, mm-hmm. and it's 63 minutes of commercials. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> what? And it's the a third. Game, the game itself is going back to like the whole aesthetic thing about the NBA. It's like the game itself. I understand this whole hypocritical safety initiative. It's like you can't make football safe, and you're just making the game unwatchable yeah. and boring, and, and it's ridiculous. 
that's the thing. The players have to accept that they're playing a risky game. And I, yeah. I get it, and I feel bad. And if it is their only way out of poverty, that's really sad. Yeah. But um, maybe soccer can fill a need. And yeah, basketball is always there. And I'd say as far as danger, basketball is one of the safer sports for players to play. Oh, yeah, def- definitely. I mean, you might, like, you know. As, as uh, I don't know if you know this, I, I had back surgery in college because of a pickup basketball injury. I remember that, like an NFL player. Yeah, so I was playing pickup uh, ball at uh, Corporal Burns on Memorial Drive in Cambridge, which is right outside of Boston. Um, this is a pretty famous court, um, and it was dog days of summer. Is that and, Jeremy and, Lin's home court? Uh, I would be, I would be shocked. <laughs> I would be shocked if he didn't play there, and I've played with people um, who've played at Harvard there, so I would be shocked if he hadn't, hadn't played there before. But this was dog days of summer. Uh, NFL training camp was going on at the time, I believe, and Tully Banta Kane, who was a linebacker on the Patriots and the 49ers, was there, showed up in jorts. I don't know if you remember jorts from the mid and late. Jorts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he showed up in jorts and a button-up, uh, looked kind of like a complete schlub, but was an NFL linebacker and a freak athlete. We were we were defending each other. I got open at the it was a corner three. I got open. He was under the basket. I took the pass. I set my feet. I thought I'm, I'm about to, to absolutely drill this right in, right in this NFL linebacker's face. And he got out to me so fast and just ran through me while I was in midair. And I just smashed into the concrete and pop back up and as soon as I pop back up I was like yep my body is not right right now broke your back yeah broke my back because of an NFL, playing pickup basketball with an NFL linebacker well, what was the recovery like Holy it was shit. Hor- dude it was I've horrible I've known that about you but I've never really it was, absorbed it it was, it. it was awful um so I had surgery okay so I alright so this was right before the school year started so I moved into my dorm I was there for like a week my back was killing me every day. I was having trouble walking. I went home one day, and I was like, yeah, there's something, like, wrong. <laughs> so I went to the hospital, did, did all that, and then I had surgery shortly thereafter. I had to go home for a semester to recover. And then I gained a bunch of weight. I couldn't move. I was really immobile for, like, a year. So it was a really long process to Were you on opiates? Back. I was. Um, and... Uh, yeah, they're bad. <laughs> they're, 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 they're the devil's candy. Um, yeah, I, I mean, was. that's NFL's thing for years and years and years. They're just handing out opiate candies to all their players. Yeah, no, it's bad. I um, And I was legitimately in a lot of pain, so I was taking a lot of that. Sure. You need and, some painkiller, pain relief. Yeah, but it, it was getting to the point where I wasn't feeling well, and I was like, I'm not feeling well because I'm taking all this. So I flushed them all down the toilet because I didn't want them. And then I went through, like, a withdrawal you know, got the cold, sweats, headaches for like a couple days. Um, so it was a, yeah, it's a rough, rough time. <laughs> Did you hit the three? Uh, no, I think I bricked it. I, when, <laughs> I actually let's edit that out. Yes, I hit the three. <laughs> Dang it! That would have been the completion of the narrative, but really, it's a narrative of human fault. Well, something else I actually remember, the other kind of detail I remember about about him, which I found, uh, which is a pet peeve of mine to pick up basketball was he enforced the, if you called and won and hit the shot, or no, no, if you called and won and missed the shot, the foul didn't count. And he was very adamant about that. And, you know, 
being an NFL linebacker, we could beat up anyone on the court. We kind of just accepted that. But that's a huge pet peeve of mine. I've never heard that. Yeah, I know. It's uh, and one means you get the ball back if you miss that shit. Exactly. But he was like, by 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 virtue of calling and one, you you relinquish the right to call a foul. Did he apologize? No, he didn't. And uh, a couple people, I actually talked to a lawyer. A couple people wanted me to sue the Patriots because they were like, he's in breach of his contract. Um, and I gave that some serious thought, but then I kind of assessed it that one, I'd be like going against the code of pickup basketball players if I if I sued someone for an injury incurred, you know, on hey, a man, rel- unless relatively it's just like play. egregious. Yeah, and I don't think although he broken to hurt back, me. I mean, <laughs> I don't think he meant to hurt me. I think he just sure. was like several uh, levels above me as an athlete. Muscle um, memory too. He's like, I gotta tackle that bitch when I close out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, I just kind of was like, in Boston, I don't, if I sue the Patriots, I feel like, you know, rocks and bricks will end up getting chucked through my window, so. Yeah, but then you could, you could have your own sports writing production. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> finance, finance by Tully Vantacane and Bill Belichick, Robert just Kraft. include him as a partner. Yeah, exactly. And he actually, um, I looked him up on YouTube not that long ago, uh, and he transitioned from the NFL into making really really bad auto-tune music so he's do, doing well well he got what he deserved then yeah exactly exactly <laughs> all right well i think that's it for the pod i mean yeah we'll uh we'll we have usually to do have a rant sometime. do you have any do you have any rants uh i think i think this podcast is mostly me just ranting um, i know i know and i'm glad actually we got the opportunity to have you on because i, I really I like you, man i appreciate that i like you i like you too mike um I think to close my rant, I just uh, probably should probably should have thrown this rant in earlier. I, I I just am really put off by the amount of NBA. I don't even want to say NBA media. I'm thinking about like the fan-sided SB Nation bloggers who I think many of which there are some who are very good, um, but many of many of whom I think really only want to cover the NBA because they want to be NBA adjacent. And there's this celebrity celebrity-driven aspect of it that I find really off-putting. Yeah, the egos of sports writers in the NBA media room, I didn't mention that earlier, but it's just off oh, charts. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, chill it's out. Bad. Yeah, it's, you're, what you're doing is not... Uh, you, na- really you make no money, and you're asking questions that are just so stupid. Yeah, it's, 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 it's mind-numbingly dumb. And, and that's another thing I think really bothers me about um, that kind of fueled this existential uh, crisis. I mean, it's just like there's this scrum of people standing around, say, LeBron James, asking him all these mundane, ridiculous, ridiculously pointless questions that Amen. have no, no substance and value. And then you're like, listen, I like LeBron. He's a, I think he's an okay guy. He's an amazing athlete. But it's like, does he really warrant this much this much attention and thought from the world? I don't think so. Yeah, I just wish it was in a different way. Because it's not honest conversation 98% of the time. Yeah, and it's so just curated and manufactured. Um, yeah. And it, 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 Media coaches. Like, they all give the same answers to every effing question it's i don't know i don't know <laughs> so basically i think at the end of this i think at the end of this we can agree we probably don't need to go to therapy this week this was uh <laughs> this, this was our, our save the hundred bucks you know honestly i 
went five times and I haven't gone in a few weeks because my wallet was starting to hurt. Yeah, no, same, Ooh, same, same. Therapy's same. expensive. Yeah, absolutely the same. Did you now before before we go and we're, while we're on this, I am curious because you were with uh, being in DC. You were around the you were around the post guys and. I have long since, and again, much love and respect to Ivan, who we already mentioned as the Post guy, great guy. But I have long since thought the Washington Post uh, NBA guys have a very, very strong douchebaggy aura <laughs> about them. Who specifically? Uh, I, I, I can say to, that, I, that Jay Michael, Jay yeah. Michael is one of the douchiest. I've, maybe that's not fair. I. Let me preface this with saying that I don't have an individual relationship with any of these people. Yeah, same, same. Just from but afar. But my impression watching all the time is that Michael Lee is really cool. Yeah, he seems, seems great. Jay Michael, who is NBC Washington, was in it for the peripheral ancillary NBA fan fame, mm-hmm. like you said. David Aldridge seems painfully introverted, and I think mm-hmm. that comes across as being a douchebag, but... What I could see from him is I think that he's an introvert. Um, who else? I'm trying to think. Uh, I think it, Mike Wilbon is approachable, which is cool. I don't even necessarily mean to like just like focus it on the post. I think it's like all big outlets. Like you know, obviously like the national, just the national outlets. Just kind of when you're there as the like a, the low man on the totem pole, you just kind of get the vibe like they think you're in the way, and and that that yeah. is off-putting. It is. It is. But I think most of them are in the way asking mundane questions. So. Absolutely. One of the things I've discovered is that there are many different ways to anyway, write a song. And the most unusual way Let's came to me when I was in Europe about four or five years ago. I was trying to write a sports theme, and I did not have a piano in the hotel where I was staying. So um, I did probably what many of you have done, faced with a similar situation. I called my answering machine at home, and I, I left a message for myself. And... Um, Although that sounds goofy, what happened was that theme that I sang into the machine is the theme that they play every time the Chicago Bulls crush another basketball team. So I am singing themes into my machine regularly. And special bonus for you folks, I have brought the original answering machine tape with me so I can play it for you. I know you are dying to hear it. There we go. But it has to be played on the original answering machine. So here now the original demo tape for this particular song. Pro basketball. Hi, this is a message for me about the NBA theme. Here's an idea. It goes like this. Bounce. <laughs> 